Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. The Super Bowl is almost two months ago, and I know we're a little bit gridiron groggy, but we're going to jumpstart that football side of your brain as we talk about the greatest number 22s in NFL history with Oz Davis, and it's coming up next. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we're podcasting from the Pigpen in Western Pennsylvania to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff supplying us with the tunes, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com, and we have our Football by Numbers bonus edition of the podcast. And tonight, we are going to discuss the Football by Numbers, the greatest number 22s in NFL history. And to join us tonight to help us in this endeavor, Oz Davis of the Truly the Ghost podcast joins us once again. You heard him on the 21s. He was so popular. He's backed by popular demand. Oz Davis, welcome to the Pigpen once again. Great. I'm happy to talk uh, number 22. Uh, this will be the the another time that I like seeing 22 more than at the blackjack table. <laughs> yeah, you've been on this uh, program. I think you, you have the record the now. Fourth the one, most uh, fourth one, and we're gonna have to like get you a time card here in the, the pig pen to, to punch in on. I guess because uh, <laughs> you're on a payroll now. Well, you're still gonna you're still gonna put me in for number 80. I, I still want to oh, be oh, on for number 80. And I would love to be on for number 46 as well, because I think, I, I think that, sorry, I think we have you on for a bunch of them. I, I'll okay. te- check a look at those numbers later. Sure. Uh, I know Joe Ziemba's on for a bunch too. So he, yeah, he's going to be running neck and neck with you here. Yeah. In the no, I, like, weeks. I, I like the prospects of number 46 too, because I think when you name a defense after a player, a whole defensive scheme after one guy, I think that's, uh, I think you just give, the 46 show to that one guy, you know? <laughs> but I'd love to come on the show for that as well. Well, okay. We'll, we'll take a look when we get done here. Sure. Um, but we have the hall pro football hall of fame is given us a bunch of other numbers, a bunch of players that were the number 22. It's yeah. a plethora. And there are some great names. I'm going to name through them real quick here. We'll come back and discuss them, but we have Emmett Smith, Paul Krause, Roger Worley, Bobby Lane, Ed Reed, Frank Gadsky, George Blanda, Mike Haynes, Ty Law, James Lofton, Bob Hayes, and Mike Mahalski. Some great names on there. Uh, there's a few of them that, you know, it's a little bit questionable. They didn't wear the uh, number 22 for a very long time. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that. I mean, well, we could talk about that right now. We had uh, you know, Ed Reed. They have them down for wearing it for one season. I think when we were talking earlier, you you identified Half it was only like season. seven Half games or yeah. something that he yeah. had wore the, the number from. So yeah. uh, Ty Law's another one that wore it for only one season, but he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and so same with James Lofton, only wore it for one year. Yeah, 
<laughs> all awesome. All awesome. Uh, Ed Reed, of course, um, was a fundamental part of just those crazy great Baltimore Ravens defenses of the odds, the early teens, um, you know, just a really dominant player. Uh, one of those guys I talked about this last show where you saw him play. Okay. So he makes top 10 lists like this, <laughs> you know, uh, you're just so impressed with the way he plays. Uh, he just, you know, again, impresses upon you. Lofton, another great one, magical, magical kind of player, um, for, Green Bay, and also the Chargers. Am I right? Uh, the Buffalo Bills. He played on those a couple of those eighties games with sorry, Jim Kelly. Sorry, he, he might have played the Chargers. Let me I, I'll, let me take a look at that. Let me uh, get our head stack guy yeah. here at the Pixie and Dispatch to, to go into that. Uh, he Green Bay, the Raiders, and Buffalo. Okay. Oh yeah, the Raiders. That's right. Yes. I and remember. he did. Well, he did have at the end of his career Philadelphia half a season, the Rams for half mm-hmm. a season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's the thing about Reed, right, is that that would make a great trivia question is, what were the last two teams that he played for? And that was, do you know, often without looking at the pro reference page? I mean, it was Say both. Say that again? What were the last two teams Ed Reed played for? Oh, God, I, I can only think of him <laughs> in the purple and black of Baltimore. I right. can't think, even think right. of in his last in his last season. I guess that was 2013. He played for the Texans, and then he played the second half of the season for the Jets, and that's when he wore, you know, the number that he hadn't worn the rest of his career. So again, like, don't necessarily like to talk about those last few seasons with another team, unless you're unless you're Tom Brady or Joe Montana for that matter, who did pretty right, well with right. the Chiefs in his last couple of years. Um, Ty Law, of course. Maybe because there's so many good players here that we we have to make that differential. Uh, and I can't say I don't care how many uh, years he played with that uniform number. But uh, I do want to say this about Ty Law. Uh, I would put forth perhaps a controversial opinion. I still think that Ty Law has the greatest play in Super Bowl history, to his credit. I think when he picks six Warner and – the stadium blew up and the camera started shaking. That was like the most exciting thing I'd ever seen in probably in pro football, uh, but definitely in the Super Bowl. Uh, what am I wrong? Well, I'm, I'm being a Steelers fan. I have a, I have at least one play that's uh, bigger than that. I'd say okay. James Harrison's interception of Warner in the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Going 101 yards and you're out of gas and, and ends the half. I think that was the most that dramatic play in cool. Super Bowl history. That, that was, was the most dramatic cool. play I ever saw. I that think. was pretty cool. That was the biggest point flip in Super Bowl history. That's for right. Sure. That was that was big for that game too. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was a 14 point flip right there. That was right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Warner Warner had some some really magical years, especially with Greatest Show on Turf. But damn, he threw a lot of picks. He, <laughs> he really sure did. did. He really did. It wasn't quite on Jamias Winston level, but he was up there. In any case, <laughs> not to go down the rabbit hole. Um, okay, well, you know, you started at the top of the list with some pretty unassailable guys. I mean, of course, these guys are going to make your list, right? I mean, Emmett Smith, all-time yardage leader, of course, right? You know, what can you no, say? He's a, he's a stud. Yeah, what can you say? Uh, Paul Krause, you know, he was the kind of guy – Roger Worley is another one – these were the kind of guys that 
my dad and his generation, like, like these guys were teaching points, right? These guys were like, here's how to play safety. Here's how to play cornerback. Watch these guys, right? Kind of like how for me, another guy like this was uh, Brian Erlocker later on, right? You want to learn how to play middle linebacker? Watch this guy. Just watch him the whole game, right? And so for my dad, that was Kraus at his position. That was like, here, watch this guy play. That's how you play. And of course, he played for those Vikings teams. Kind of one of those perpetual contenders. But, uh, you know, never could win the Super Bowl. Uh, he played in at least one Super Bowl, if not two, I believe, um, with those with those teams. Yeah, I think you're right. He was elite. He might have been on a, a few of them there because, uh, yeah, because I mean, he played Vikings. with them through the seventies, right? So, and that's when they right. were, that's when they yeah, were doing so. that. That's when they were losing four Super Bowls. <laughs> it was in the seventies, so so he probably had a few Super Bowl games in there. But uh, and then you know, Worley's another one. Um, look at this guy. That's how you play, etc. So I think that you know, of course, these three guys. You know, you have to have on the team. Now, um, in the last episode, I just wanted to put forth one more. Uh, in the last episode, we spent a lot more time probably than we should have talked about John Hagel. But, you know, here's here's Bobby, the blonde bomber, Lane, right? And he's mm-hmm. playing in the chin strap 50s, right? And again, like, here's another great quarterback for the era before the quarterback, you know, is what it is now before the pass happy offenses before the West coast offense, whatever, whatever you want to attribute it to, um, you know, he's playing in the conservative fifties and, you know, killer stats. Right. So, right. Again, probably, you know, the best quarterback <laughs> to wear number 22. Uh, I think those four guys are no brainers. Well, I, I'd like to bring up another one I think is a no-brainer. I think that's Bob Hayes. Oh, First yeah, of sure. All, he's, got a, yeah. he's got a great last name, so we got to mention him for that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he was just a stud of his time. You know, sure. Dallas Cowboys, uh, for most of his career, he finished up with the San Francisco 49ers, but we don't like to talk about that last yep, year. Yep, again. But, I, you know, 371 receptions, 71 touchdowns in 132 games, you know, three Pro Bowls, two times All-Pro, you know, just a great uh, player, known for some great speed uh, at that uh, position of wide receiver for the, the Cowboys and uh, couldn't be stopped. Yeah, that was in the early days. Uh, that, that was uh, in the early days of the pre-merger and then post-merger period, right? So, so the uh, early days of the modern NFL Hayes was a dominator. Yeah, so I mean, I would I would say those five names that we mentioned, and you know, just to review them, but Smith, Kraus, Worley, Lane, and Bob Hayes, I think are in my book. They're probably five automatics into the the top ten because mm-hmm. they're they're just that uh, substantial to the NFL's history. Mm-hmm. Well, okay then, okay then. Speaking of you know important to the NFL history. I'm putting forth George Blanda. You know, oh, now, def- now he's got only four years in the number, but jeez. Okay, look, Blanda has got to make the all-time uh, NFL team. Okay, he's, he's, he's got to be the starting place kicker, and maybe he's like the fourth-string quarterback. Like, 
he's the guy that comes in after you take out Montana and Elway and Brady, right? And Peyton Manning. So he's the fifth string quarterback. Okay. But just based on the longevity alone, you know, when they talk about how old Tom Brady is and about how X number of players have played this long, X number of players have played this many games, Blanda is the guy that he gets compared to. <laughs> okay. Blanda right. was Brady before Brady. Now, Okay, it could be said, yes, you know, Blanda stopped playing quarterback when he was like 35. But it could also be said that, hey, there's not too many guys that have the career of, uh, oh, I don't know, let's say uh, not quite an Elway level, but I don't know, Warren Moon, let's say, has the career of Warren Moon and then has the career of an Adam Vinatieri. Okay, there's not too many players you could say that about. In fact, there's really one, and that's Blanda. So I'm putting Blanda on this team. All-time points leader as well. Um, Yeah, I say Blanda. Think about this. Think about this way with Blanda. This is an amazing thing to think about. He's playing for George Hallis in George Hallis' heyday <laughs> as a coach of the Bears, and then he's playing for John Madden in the 70s right. in his heyday. I mean, that right. from the f- 1949 all the way to 1975 and the AFL in between. Right. You know, that's that's right. That's an amazing career. And he really got his uh, play at quarterback in the AFL with the Houston Oilers in 1960. Mm. He, he actually retired uh, from the Bears. He was kind of ticked off at Hallis, I think, because Hallis wanted him to be a kicker and he wanted to be a quarterback. <laughs> and he retired and was, you know, he had 12 seasons under his belt at that time. And, you know, the, knocking on the door comes the Houston Oilers. Hey, we're starting a team. We need a quarterback. Yeah. Come on in. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he played well. Yeah. Definitely yeah. played well. Yeah. And then, I mean, basically, like, jump starts his career. Jump starts his career, right? He still had – he didn't even know it, but he still had like two-thirds of his career in front of him, which is insane. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean imagine if Michael Jordan had come out of retirement that time and he's still playing now. <laughs> That's basically like what Blanda did. That's, it's crazy. Right. You're it's right. Crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. So he's on this team. He's on this team. He's on the top. Maybe fi- maybe fifteen years from now, when Tom Brady's uh, still playing, we yeah, same thing about Brady. Yeah, he becomes a kicker, right? He calls right. in, calls in Vinatieri, gets tips. You know? <laughs> <laughs> calls in Doug Flutie, learns the drop kick. <laughs> great. Yeah, be- I, okay. I think Blanda should be at number six spot. So we got six names tied up, and yeah. we haven't even left. We haven't talked about non-Hall of Famers yet. Well, We've got some great players there, too. Well, okay. I wanted to talk about this. Uh, you know, you send this list of, of prospective players, and then, you know, you, the only stat we have is the AV stat. But, you know, it, it gives some perspective, especially across positions. And, Jesus, in the top five, you've got Christian McCaffrey and Derek Henry. You know, these guys have been in the league for four and five years, respectively. And they've already racked up, like, more AV points than dudes like Bobby Lane who played, you know, what, 15 years. It's like, Jesus. I mean, okay. Now, Christian McCaffrey, his future may be in doubt because uh, all, all good rumors have him going to Houston next season. So so <laughs> we'll see we'll see what comes of Christian McCaffrey, but... 
I mean, here's a guy who, you know, I, I, I talk extensively, I think the last podcast about, you know, running a guy into the ground. But here's a guy who, who's catching and receiving for a thousand yards. So uh, this guy's career could go in any number of ways, uh, even if he gets one of those disastrous career changing injuries. Yeah, I mean, he could he could just become a straight up wide receiver someday or maybe he'll just become a, a halfback or maybe he'll be a tight end. You know, he throws a block pretty well, you know. Uh, so McCaffrey. Wow. I mean. You know, I'm I'm one of these guys who truly the goats. My podcast is all about having a sense of perspective on history. But what McCaffrey's done in four seasons is tough to deny. And then there's Derrick Henry. You know, same deal. I keep waiting for this guy to fall off the Priest Holmes cliff. You know, but for five years he's just been pounding that line, breaking away runs every once in a while, just dominating um, in a way that has fantasy players taking running backs first again. You know, so it's like these two guys, I mean, uh, you know, again, I don't like to call this stuff too early, but they they might be here. Yeah, that's that's true. And I think they're definitely worth mentioning. But maybe there might be a couple of names we might have to come back to on there. I don't know sure. that we put them on there right now. Um, we have a, another player uh, that's playing right now. Uh, Jimmy Smith, who has had a nice long career. Ten years he's been wearing the number 21, and he's still going from what I understand. I believe still with Baltimore this coming year. He's played with them his whole career so far. But, you know, what a nice cornerback uh, he has been for, for the, the Ravens, you know, on some great defenses. Well, okay, here's the interesting thing about considering Jimmy Smith for this team. Okay, yeah, he's been with who else but the Ravens, you know, more great Ravens defenses, ho-hum, since 2011. So basically he's been, you know, a stud for the whole decade of the teens. Um, And uh, but here's the thing. In the last two seasons, he's only started 10 games. He's only played in 20. Okay, so. If you're thinking about putting him in a list like this, in a top 10 list like this, you have to consider that that may be it. You know, this may be the viable part of his career done. Are his stats to date good enough? Right. So and just something to consider when when you're going to put him on this list. What do you think about a name like Matt Forte? Yeah, see, Forte, yeah, Forte, what a weird career, huh? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of broke out with Chicago, was supposed to be, you know, the next superstar, another fantasy football darling for a year or two, and then kind of dropped off the map when the Bears did. Then went to New York and kind of wasn't anything expected, and then it... Surprise, like, you know, basically comeback player of the year. I don't know if they gave it to him, but kind of had that comeback season with the Jets. And then since then, kind of, is my memory correct here? I mean, is this what the stat page is telling you? Uh, I, I don't see him being super impressive. He had 800 yards one year with the, with yeah. the Jets. Yeah. Uh, and the other year he was 381. I mean, most of his yards were was in a Chicago Bears uniform. Yeah. Eight years with Chicago. Uh, he's had, you know, 97 or just under 9,800 yards total rushing in his uh, whole career. 54 touchdowns in 146 games, two Pro Bowls. So, yeah. you know, didn't make an all pro 
didn't have those you know gigantic seasons, his highest season ever. Well, he had a thirteen hundred yard rushing right. season. That's not too shabby. As a rookie, he was twelve hundred yards. Yeah. You know, de- de- yeah, it seems it good, seems like a good player. stats, good stats, bad team guy. You know? Yeah, that I you guess know, you could say that. Kind about. of like a fantasy player, you know. Uh, you know, like like you know, his his teams are never great, but but you know, he gets the numbers for you. So, so kind of on the fence, kind of on the fence about that one. Um, well, Gats this 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 Gatsky is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's got six years under his belt. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I did not do the research. Uh, I do not know much about this late 40s era of football. Uh, what can you tell me about Frank Gatsky? Great name. Well, the great Gatsky. Well, right? he, he was a, a two-way player. So we so he right. played center and linebacker. Usually the centers were the linebackers. Mm. Uh, you know, Four times was the AAFC champion with the Browns. Uh, oh, okay. They played with the Browns of the you know the great okay. Browns teams of the yep. early fifties in the NFL as well. You know, finished up with Detroit, uh, but we don't have a whole lot of statistics for right. that era from you know linemen and you know linebackers really. But we do know he had three interceptions in his career, um, and uh, that's and basically those were in his first two years in the AAFC. They weren't NFL interceptions, right? Uh, but you know, pro. Made the Pro Bowl one year, three times as an All-Pro, and four-time NFL champ, and like we said, the four AAFC championships yeah. that the Browns had. So yeah, that's got to be nice it. That's got to be it. He's got to be part of that line uh, that was protecting Otto Graham uh, with the Browns because that that must be it. That must be uh, how he's in the Hall of Fame because yeah, those Cleveland again wasn't there personally. Not dating myself here. Know it from the history books. Um, and NFL films. Um, those Cleveland Browns teams, of course, were dominant. I mean, uh, a lot of uh, people have said that one of the primary reasons why the NFL was concerned about the AAFC, the All-American Football Conference, uh, one of the last great rogue, uh, football leagues, successful ones at least, um, was the Cleveland Browns. I mean, they were afraid of this one franchise. Uh, and when the NFL effectively bought them out. Uh, the Browns were one of three teams that they kept. Uh, the other two being the San Francisco 49ers, who still exist, and the Baltimore Colts, who sort of still exist, but that franchise opened and closed a couple of times before the modern Indianapolis Colts was established. So basically, I mean, they bought out the AAFC for the Cleveland Browns. And for their first expansion into California, more or less. That, that's very true. And he, so, I mean, he did block, I assume, for a little bit for uh, the great Jim Brown near the end of his sure, career. Sure, sure. So, you know, somebody was blowing holes open for that, that big back to, <laughs> to get through there. And, uh, you know, of course, Jim Brown made a lot of his own holes, too, from uh, just his brute strength and skill set. So, yeah, I guess just based on the reputation of those Cleveland Browns teams, I'd, I'd be willing to have Gatsky on this list here. I mean, okay. uh, uh, it's, it's one of my grand unifying theories of sports that the numbers always balance out. And the reason for a long drought like the Chicago Cubs is because it's actually an illusion 
because in the first 50 years of professional baseball, the Chicago Cubs were dominant. Uh, and I really honestly believe that the Browns' misfortunes uh, since, the, since the 50s can in part be blamed on the fact that they were so dominant in the 50s and 60s. I mean, they were, they were at a UCLA kind of level of dominance there. Uh, they were at the New York Yankees kind of level of dominance, winning championships in both the AAFC and the NFL when they joined that league for 10, 15 years. So, sorry guys, I know it's not much consolation for fans of the Lions and the Browns, but your teams used to be dominant. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I mean, there's also we've got a, a a few cornerbacks that had some longevity wearing uh, number twenty one. Okay. Um, you know, Clarence Scott is is one of them. Uh, he wore that number for thirteen seasons. Played from nineteen seventy one to nineteen eighty three. Uh, another Cleveland Brown in a different era. Yeah. Uh, but had a, had a decent career. One hundred eighty six games, thirty nine picks. You know, not not bad there. Uh, don't know that he makes that list, but definitely worth mentioning. Uh, a couple other ones. We have Asante Samuel. Mm. Yes, we have to refer to him as Asante Samuel Sr. because his son's coming up uh, <laughs> probably through the draft this year. Mm-hmm. He'll be an NFL player next year. But Asante Samuel had 51 interceptions in 157 games. You know, that's about a pick every three games. That's that's a pretty good statistic there. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the other one is Nate Clements, uh, another great uh, back. Uh, defensive back, uh, you know, from the Buffalo Bills, most famously, played a little bit with the 49ers uh, and the Bengals. And he also had some good stats, uh, 36 interceptions in 180 games. So, you know, probably uh, Samuels is probably the uh, the top of the list of those three that we mentioned. Like I said, not sure that any of them make the list. You know, we've got seven spots filled up, three to go. But Maybe an Asante Samuel is one to consider. Yeah, Samuel, I kind of like. Um, I kind of liked him coming into this conversation, but I'm looking at his numbers now, and yeah, I mean, you know, he was part of those great, uh, the the first wave of great Patriots teams in the in the aughts. Um, you know, he's got the one season with ten interceptions, and then you know he he's not one of these guys who who. Uh, Bilicek famously uh, sells high on, and then you know the 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 buyer was not wary enough and gets rooked. You know, it's not a situation like that at all because he goes on to play for Philadelphia, makes a couple of All Pro teams, and you know has nine picks one year for them. So has seven picks in another year. Jeez, the well, the year the year he goes to Atlanta in 2010, 2012 as a thirty one year old, he's got. Another five picks for 110 yards. So, you know, always an effective quarterback. I forgot about one player before we put Samuels on that list. I forgot about a DB, and that's Dave Brown. Sure. And Dave Dave Brown's got an interesting history. I mean, 1975, the Steelers draft him. You know, he's on the 75 Steelers, doesn't get much playing time. Uh, expansion sets in the Seattle Seahawks pick him up in the expansion draft off the Steelers and all he does is have 62 interceptions in 216 yeah. games uh, you know, mostly well, all of his interceptions were with Seattle from 76 to 89 nice long career real nice uh, DB there too he he may be a step ahead of even Samuels on, on yeah Dave on. Brown he's a guy that you forget right because just like, you know, I was talking about the St. Louis Cardinals the other day, uh, you know, again, 
those early Seattle Seahawks teams, there were not many bright spots. You know, you had Steve Largent, you know, still one of the all-time great wide receivers. Uh, and then and then you had Brown on the defense. But again, you know, limited TV coverage. Uh, the Seahawks as an expansion team that played like one for the first 15 years of their existence um, just did not get the coverage and neither did Brown. So, yeah, actually, you're like really causing me to flash back here. So the price of that alone is worth putting Brown on this top tip. Okay, I'm going to put him as our eighth eighth sure. uh, player sure. to be on that list. So we have two more to choose from. And there's a couple names of more modern era of uh, running backs maybe worth mentioning. We have Fred Jackson and Carlos Rogers on that list. Mm. Both wore that number for nine seasons. Uh just some numbers from Jackson. Uh, you know, of course, he's uh, most famously with the Buffalo Bills. Played one year with uh, Seattle at the end of his career, but uh, had fifty-six or I'm sorry, fifty-seven hundred yards rushing, thirty touchdowns. Uh, you know, wasn't always a starter, but you know, good solid running back there. Uh, really did well with the Bills his last couple years with them. And then Carlos Rogers, another one, you know, you think of him as a San Francisco 49ers uniform. But before that, he played with Washington for six years. Yes. And uh, you know, not, decent career. Uh, was it? I'm sorry. He was he was a defensive back. I'm sorry. He wasn't a running back. And uh, but, you know, still is a real nice uh, player for them and end up having 17 interceptions in, in his career. But no, not we're near what uh uh, Brown and Samuels or yeah. with, with their numbers. You know. Yeah. But uh, worth mentioning because they were substantial players. Yeah, I remember the days of Carlos Rogers for sure. But if we're getting down to that level, I think Samuel could get penciled in too at this point. Uh, because again, like, like, like I said in the last program, it's hard to dominate a game from a cornerback position, uh, especially when you're getting thrown on like those Patriots were in the early odds because of so much scoring. But Samuel could do that. He could do that. He could turn a game by himself. Um, and, you know, he had some good playoff games, as I recall, as well. So I'd, I'd, Samuel, over 50 career interceptions, I'd, I'd, I'd have Samuel in there, yeah, sure. And they're, all in the, and they're all in the 22. So we can't debate that. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay, so so we have nine positions. Let's let's just review wow. who we have on here so far. We have Emmett Smith, Paul Krause, George Worley, Bobby Lane, Frank Gadsky, George Blanda, Bob Hayes, Dave Brown, Asante Samuel. We have one left, and we've we've got a couple that we put on standby. Uh, I put three check marks by some people: Christian McCaffrey, Derek Henry. And uh, Jimmy Smith, but I think we were leaning away from Jimmy Smith a little bit because of uh, what your your point you made of him uh, sort of dwindling down in his career, and that's sort of his numbers, yeah. his numbers right now. Yeah, we have to assume that his numbers are over. Are they good enough? Gee, at this point now, I almost feel like t- taking taking Sam Samuel or Brown back off because I want McCaffrey and Henry both in there. I guess the question is, is okay, let's say we can't. Let's say we only have to put one in, McCaffrey or Henry. Okay? In your opinion, which of these guys has the brighter future in front of them? Like, which do you expect to be talking about in 10 years as the better, more productive, more long-lasting player of these two? Uh, I, you know, I, they're both great backs. 
and um, you know, I don't know if I don't know if we'll still be talking about them strongly ten years from now because I think, like you said, they're gonna they're they're really taking a beating. It's a high burnout. But they're they're doing they're doing well by taking that beating. Yeah. But I'm almost thinking that maybe we ought to drop Asante Samuel off and and put those on there or. We pick one of those and leave Asante Samuel on. I think that's what we're sort of down to. Yeah, I think I don't know. McCaffrey has been injured a couple of times, so Henry just doesn't stop. He just keeps going. So I would be willing to say that if Henry turns in a couple more seasons at this level, that he'd make this team top ten anyway. And I'm right. not that confident in McCaffrey like staying on the field. Uh, for th- for that long, and I'm really afraid, of of course, for him that they will have to trade him to Houston because some of the word on the street suggests that, and to me that makes sense uh, because you wouldn't really need him on a team with Deshaun Watson. So, and that's a good trade piece. So I'm gonna I I would if gun to my head, Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry makes the tenth spot on this team. And leave Asante Samuel on. Go with Derrick Henry. Yeah, Stafford, he's sort of our our ten B. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. He's like eleven but with a bullet. Another element of that is that if we don't have Derrick Henry on here, I'm going to have a, a certain uh, Jeremy McFarlane calling my phone uh, the day this airs, saying, "Why is Derrick Henry not on there? He'll be beating the table on there." But I agree with you. I think that's probably the good call. Sante Samuel, Derrick Henry, round out our top ten greatest players. Where to number twenty-two? Now, I, something I should have mentioned at, earlier. Uh, there was one name that was the Hall of Fame said that I did not put on that list, and that's Ernie Nevers. Mm. Now, Ernie Nevers, they said in Pro Football Hall of Fame, wore 22, but I went through everything I could find. Explain why, you know, Ernie Nevers, find where he wore that number 22, and he's made it on some other list. Right, that's yeah, it. he made other numbers, so I don't feel so, too bad about leaving off Nevers. Right, so I, th- I think we did it again. That, that was a tough one. That was a, a lot of good players on there and only 10 spots to fill, and uh, – I think we did it. Now you are t- mentioned earlier. You know the uh, truly the goats has sort of been on a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, we know we lot COVID is making a lot of things uh, tough to do these days, and uh, hopefully we're getting out of that that pattern. Uh, but you got me a little bit excited. Said that we may have be seeing some uh, truly the goats episodes coming up soon. So what are you working on there? Well, I know you're one of my biggest fans. So <laughs> so uh, okay. I've got one coming out. Should be out anytime this week. So we're recording this on on March 22. Going a little bit outside the lines here because there's basically it doesn't happen that often where somebody comes to me and says it happens a lot where people go, "Hey, you should do an episode on." But it rarely comes somebody comes to me and says, "Hey, I'm an expert on and he should uh, X and he she should be a goat." So I actually got handed one of those. Uh, I got handed the story of Johnny Bassett, who ends up being one of the influential figures in 20th slash 21st century North American sports, yet never played. Uh, So um, now some of you who are fans of certain uh, defunct leagues uh, may already know the name. Uh, So I won't give... Uh, much more away than that but that would be the next one now i've got all sorts of stuff planned but yeah covid has been wreaking havoc with my schedule um i know that i'll be doing one in the near future on a two sports star of gaelic football and hurling 
which are traditional, mm. traditional Irish sports, which for some reason do not get exported. Uh, so be talking more, I believe, about the sport than the actual sports man in that particular episode. Uh, I also have a great um, podcast planned if I can find, if I can nail down a couple of guests for it on a, a female semi-pro player, uh, women's basketball player. Uh, who played in the so-called Black Fives uh, era of the sport, which, of course, in the days of segregation, uh, professional black players, both men and women, had to mostly do barnstorming tours, tournaments, things like that. So I would like to do that pretty soon, if I can nail down the guests. You know, I'm ready to roll on Greek Olympics. I'm ready to roll on chariot racing. If you know anybody who will guess for that, I'd love to do those episodes. Uh, I'm hoping to do an episode on rodeo, and I'm hoping to do an episode on secretariat in the near wow, future as that, well. That's a pretty full uh, plate you got. There. Well, you know, I have 20 or so of these suckers planned, and the, and the release dates keep getting rotated because COVID has made hell of a lot of people's schedules. So yeah. it's tough to nail down people and, you know, it's it's tough to really get through to, to – I have high hopes for a lot of these podcasts. I try and get on authors. I try and get on um, museum directors. Um, I'm trying to get on – you know, I, I aim high. So, you know, these are busy people and uh, these are people, people who uh, work with much larger media outlets than the Sports History Network is currently. Uh, so <laughs> – not always uh, easy to do, but fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Okay. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. And uh, we appreciate you you're coming on, joining us here again. I uh, know you had a, another double session. You hit the 21s the other day, 22s now. And we really appreciate you being on and uh, hope to have you on real soon in the future because we know we got some numbers uh, lined up for you. Great. Love doing it. Uh, all I can say is uh, sports history geeks forever. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pickskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians 
You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.